0: We're going to read now from God's holy word, Hebrews twelve, Hebrews twelve, one through eleven, and my text this morning is on, only going to be the first three words of verse three. For consider him, for consider him, as we look at the theme of fighting of, of coping with affliction by considering our union with Christ. Coping with affliction by considering Christ. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers... Then are ye bastards, that is, illegitimate children, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live? For they, that's our earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, that is, God, chastens us for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. May God bless the reading of his sacred word. Let's pray. Lord, bless us now as we gather around Thy Word, as Thou dost speak to us out of our union with Christ on how to consider Christ when we are in the thick of affliction, so that we may profit from our afflictions and be more and more a partaker of Christ's righteousness and Christ's holiness. Bless us now, we pray, in preaching, in listening, in worshiping, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, every single person in this world faces affliction. I don't need to spend time this morning describing to you what trials or afflictions or adversities are because you know it very well. I probably don't need to spend any time explaining to you that all of our adversities, all of our afflictions, are traceable, in one way or another, back to our deep fall in Adam. No fall, no sin, no adversities. I probably also don't need to spend time, since you're pretty good theologians, explaining to you that The amount of afflictions that we experience in this life are not a one-to-one correlation with how sinful we are. Obviously, that's what the whole book of Job is all about. His friends thinking that that's the case. Job, you must have done some great sin because you have great affliction. The book of Job is saying, no, God is sovereign in dispensing in our lives the amount of and the content of the afflictions that we receive. There can be times, of course, and you know that too, that God does chasten us in direct relationship to a particular sin. That's possible. But as a Christian, if you're a true believer, you see all your afflictions are the chastening hand of a heavenly Father who designs, Hebrews 12 tells us, those chastings in such a way that you become increasingly a partaker of the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. And therefore, as verse 12 and 13 in this chapter, which I didn't read, say, lift up the hands that hang down and make a straight path for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, because you can rejoice that God is using your afflictions for your spiritual profit. But I'm assuming you know that as well. I'm assuming that you know that God means good in every affliction. They come from a wise, fatherly God, if you're a believer. But what I want to get at this morning is, when we are united with Christ... We want to glorify Christ in every area of our lives. And so where we struggle as Christians, especially as pampered Western American Christians who don't know how to handle affliction very well because we, have, we, we bask in so much prosperity, we want to really wrestle with this question, how can I glorify God out of my union with Christ in the midst of my affliction. To prepare for affliction isn't really easy. To be grateful after you come out of affliction, well, that takes grace too, because we, we're very presumptive as soon as we come out of it by nature. But the hardest of all is when you are in the furnace of affliction to give God the glory. To live Christianly in affliction is not easy for us to do. We're complainers. We're grumblers. Even as Christians, we, we think we don't deserve too much affliction. So the question is, how may I grow in grace while, while I'm in that tunnel of affliction? How can I get immediate benefit in serving and glorifying my God in the midst of adversity. And I'm here to tell you this morning that my experience in life in the midst of affliction is that I, I don't respond too well. I've struggled with it a lot. I've tried all kinds of things with various levels and measures of success. But there's one thing, one thing that's helped me more than all the things I've tried combined. One thing that I recommend to you today, out of your union with Christ, to do when you're in the midst of affliction. And that one thing you can find in verse 3 of Hebrews 12. For consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So my my sermon this morning is quite simple. Consider Christ in affliction. And I'm going to give you seven ways to consider Jesus in the midst of affliction. Remembering, of course, that only the Holy Spirit can enable us to do that in a right way that brings us joy, brings us submission, and brings us all that we need so we embrace the pain and become more and more a partaker, verse 10 and 11, of the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. So, seven ways to consider Jesus Christ. First way is consider the passion of Christ. The passion of Christ. Passion, as you probably know, comes from the Latin word passio, which means suffering. So when we have the passion season in the church, it's really the season that we commemorate the sufferings of Jesus. Now, what greater Source of strength. For living through and profiting from affliction can be had, then frequent meditation on the sufferings of Jesus. I try to meditate often on what I call the last three G's in Jesus' life the Garden of Gethsemane, the Judgment Hall of Gabbatha. And the cross of Golgotha. Those last three places in Jesus' life. Last 24 hours in his life. Are the crux of 33 years of suffering. Here the wrath of God is being poured out on his son. Crushing him. Making him fall to the earth in Gethsemane. And crawl on the ground as a worm and no man sweating in his pure agony, great drops of blood, so that even when Jesus cried out, Oh, my Father, let this cup pass from me. The Father was silent, and through his silence was saying, No, my son. You must pay the full price of your sins, my sins. Every Sweat drop of blood It's your sin, my sin. Consider that. Consider Gabbatha, Jesus, up against one of those posts in the judgment hall with his back exposed and a mop-like thing called a scourge, a whip with little ox tail bones in it coming down on his back probably 40 times, the Roman maximum allowed. And the bones catching the skin and bringing rivulets of blood down the back with every stroke. Every stroke. He's paying for your sins, for my sins. Many prisoners didn't make it through those strokes They died on the spot. But Jesus had one more big G to go through. Golgotha. Calvary, we call it. Carrying his own crossbeam, he almost succumbed on the way. They got Simon of Cyrene to help him. Then they laid the crossbeam down. They put him on it. They nailed through his hands, his wrists, his feet, ankles. Your sins. My sins. It's crowned with thorns. Every thorn. Your sin. My sin. He lifted up the cross beam. Dropped it in the hole. It's said of historians that the Romans were the only ones that would allow live crucifixion. It was so painful. But when that beam hit the bottom of the hole there was a screeching pain that would go through the entire body your sins my sins consider it and then six long hours blood drop by blood drop bleeding now from the crown of thorns to the nails in his feet from head to toe naked Hanging ashamed, painful, in agony. Pain for your sins, my sins. And then those last three horrific hours where he's abandoned by everyone. Even the sun won't shine upon him. Even nature rejected Him. Rejected by heaven and earth and hell. Rejected by friend and foe. Trotting the winepress alone for your sins and my sins. What a Savior. How can I ever sin against Him again and again? But he paid such a price. And then the cry of dereliction. The most agonizing cry, and yet the most victorious cry ever uttered by human lips in the history of mankind. My God! My God! With a loud voice, why hast Thou forsaken me? And he knew the answer. Your sin. every time you're in affliction if you would focus on these three G's you would bring glory to God I wish I could say I always do it but I try intentionally to do it even when I have pain in some, some areas of my life even when I'm sitting in a dentist chair I try to focus on these three G's. Even for small pain, I just think, what did my Savior go through? This is nothing compared to what He went through. And what I'm saying to you is, if you want help when you're afflicted, and you really want your pain to decrease, in a practical way, one of the best helps you can do is just think, no matter how much you're afflicted, this is nothing compared to what my Savior went through. This is nothing compared to what my Savior went through. Over and over again. You know, it's interesting as a pastor, when people come to you with cancer, and, or they tell you that they have cancer, and they start going through treatments I notice a pattern in almost every one of them. First, they're shocked. They're numb. They're astonished. I've got cancer. Then they can be a bit depressed. Oh, what's going to happen to my life? And then there's another stage. They go get some treatments, some chemo, some radiation. And they come back to you and they say something like this. You know, know, Pastor, I sat in a room full of people that all had cancer. I looked around and I saw that, well... Many of them had it have it far worse than me. I, I, I'm grateful. It could be so much worse. But you see, that's what happens when you consider Christ's passion. You look at what He endured for your sake and, and suddenly your afflictions seem small compared to what He endured for you. And the beautiful thing here is that Jesus in his three G's not only, but in all his life experience, he faced every affliction that you will ever have to face. And he went through every one of them sinlessly so that he could cover your sins, your complaining, your grumbling, your resistance, your rebellion, your anger when you suffer affliction. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. All points means all points. It means there's never been an affliction you've ever encountered that Jesus has not already endured the essence of it. Think about that. Consider Him. Consider His passion. Oh yes, you say, but He never, he never lost A loved one. No. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Where was he? Graveside of Lazarus. Whom, the Bible says, he loved. You see, he endured everything in its essence that you'll ever endure. And he will sanctify it. There is no temptation taken hold of you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted or tried. Above that you are able, but will with a temptation make a way of escape, a way of escape preeminently in Jesus by considering Him, that you may be able to bear it. So the way we glorify God in affliction is to meditate on His Son. And what he endured for our sake. And then give him the glory that our afflictions are not far worse than they are. And surrender to whatever he's giving us. And say, I was dumb with silence because thou didst it. And bow in the dust before God. That's number one. That's a big one. That's a big one. Number two... Consider the power of Christ, the power of Christ. Being infinite God-man, Jesus received power on earth to bear infinite sufferings on your behalf. And through the merit of these sufferings, He now receives royal power in heaven from His Father to rule and strengthen and superintend all your sufferings to His own glory. And so every single suffering you ever will endure in this life if you're a believer is measured out not by a judge who's going to condemn you but by a Father who's going to love you and mold you and train you to be more and more conformed to His Son. So if He desires to weigh you down with with seemingly heavy even staggering affliction do not be alarmed. The waters will not go over your head. They may come to your lips. But do not be alarmed, but look to Him for strength because He will bring you through. He will hold you in the right hand of His power. His arms will undergird you. He will be your breaker to go before you. He will watch over you in affliction, in every detail. Now, you shouldn't be ashamed if God... His desire to give you, at some periods of your life, remarkably heavy affliction. When I worked for my dad, who was a carpenter, uh, one summer as a teenager, I think I was 13. I, uh, I saw my older brothers, who were 16 and 19, carry up to the, to the roof, up a ladder, onto the roof, uh, a whole bundle of shingles. We were shingling a roof that day. And um, so I watched them. And so I, I grabbed a whole bundle of shingles and put it on my shoulders and began to walk up the ladder. But as a 13-year-old, and I was a, I was a pretty slender 13-year-old, uh, it was heavy, very heavy. And I was shaking when I went up the ladder. I was afraid I was going to fall backward. When I finally got to the top and was able to, whew, put those, that bundle of shingles down, 70-some pounds or whatever that weighs, onto the roof, I was relieved. When I got back down, my dad was standing there waiting for me. Apparently he saw the whole thing. And this is what he said to me. He said, son, uh, next time you go up, just take a half a bundle. When your shoulders are broader as you get older, he said you can do like your brothers. But right now, Half a bundle is more fitting for you. And you see, that's how God measures out our afflictions as well. Jesus Christ tailor-makes, if you're a believer, every affliction for your shoulders. And He's promised to fit them to you. So don't be proud of slender shoulders, nor ask for more affliction but beg for broader shoulders exercised in the weight room of Jesus' providential leadings so that whatever he in his amazing, inscrutable sovereignty deems fitting to put upon you, you would be able to bear. Consider Jesus' power. One of the Puritans, George Downing, put it this way, the Lord Jesus does not measure out our afflictions according to our faults and sins, but according to our strength, and looks not at what we have deserved, but at what we are able to bear. I have a man who's often been an elder, he's a little too old for that right now, in our church, who um, went through very serious infection. In his knee, he had three surgeries on his knee, and uh, he kept getting infection back. And finally, the last surgery, it seemed like it worked. But a month later, he called me up and said, "Uh, Pastor, I need to tell you, um, it looks like they're going to have to take off my leg. I've got infection again. They warned him, next time we'll, we'll have to take off your leg. And I said, oh, George, I'm so, so very sorry. Oh, don't be sorry, he said. My father must have more to teach me. Wow. So much more mature than me. My father must have more to teach me. You see, this was a man who was very mature in suffering and affliction. Mature in his relationship to Christ. He really saw himself as united with Christ and through that union with Christ, God is his Father, and he knows that the Father makes no mistakes, so the Father will give him exactly what is best for him. Where would you be if you never had any afflictions in your life at all? You and I, would, would we would all be spoiled brats. We would be so spiritually immature, it's unbelievable. God afflicts us to mature us. And to teach us through his power. So, when we look to the strength of Jesus, you see, and we consider his power, he's able to give us from his power all that we need so that we, like Paul and Silas, could sing in the inner prison when our feet are fast in the stocks and our bodies are bruised and we're feeling ill. Consider the power of Christ. Number three. Consider the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. I love the Heidelberg Catechism language here when they talk about the mystery of Christ ascending into heaven and, oh, He's so far away from us. And the answer is, He is at no time absent from us, for He is with us with His Godhead, His majesty, His grace, and His Spirit at all times. You see, Jesus is always here Jesus is always present. Even in your thickest hours of Egyptian darkness, he can say, the darkness and light are both alike to me. And how comforting that is in all my dark afflictions. My high priest retains me in his high priestly eye, preserves me in his high priestly heart, bears me in his high priestly shoulders, doesn't remove me from the engravings on his high priestly hands, and never ceases to remember me in his high priestly intercessions. He ever lives to make intercession for you. This is tender love. You're never forgotten. By Jesus Christ. Despite your negligence to Him. Your unbrotherliness to Christ. Never unbrothers this precious elder brother from you. He's always there. He always remains a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Even when you cannot see it. Even when you cannot feel it. Even when you feel like it's going over your head. Even then, He's whispering to you in midnight seasons, what I do now you know not, but you will know hereafter. His hand is always outstretched. No affliction will be too great. Yesterday, my wife and I walked up these uh, these stones and went up to the area where most of you most of you were, and uh, you know the bridge was shut, right and you had, you had these pylons and you had to walk over all these stones and well, when you get to be my age, it's just maybe those stones are just a tad bit challenging. Well, Fed noticed that and he came along and said, yeah, you know, I'll go with you. I think he was thinking, you know, I was going to really wipe out on those stones. And uh, by at one point in the stones, he just reached out his hand, just grabbed my hand. And uh, I was grateful for that because, uh, you know, I, was, I think I was going to make it, but it was nice to have the reassurance. He was there. And uh, he did it very low key, didn't embarrass me, helped me through. Jesus is doing that all the time. He's there with his hand. You get afflicted. He, you get into those rough, stony areas. He just reaches out his hand. Maybe it's just a word from the Bible that you read that morning in devotions. He helps you over a few more stones. Then a few more. He's always present. And you love him for it. Don't you love Jesus because he's always there. He never says, you know, you're coming to me again. I'm getting tired of you talking to me. 24-7 he's there. He's never weary of your cry. I remember once, one day, I was thinking, oh, the Lord must be so tired of my prayers, so tired of the repetition. Oh, Lord, help me. Forgive the poverty of my prayers. And right at that moment, my son came up from the basement, said, good morning, Dad. And I thought, you know what? He said that every morning for the last 2,000 mornings, and I'm not tired of it. Because he's my son. If you're a child of God, you're the sons of God, daughters of God. He's not tired of your cries. He's not tired of your voice. He never says, well, I got to run now. He's always present. The Jesus who never failed you in all of your yesterday afflictions is still present to give you today's strength. And just as waves are cut down to melodious whimpers at shore's reality, so He will break down your waves of tomorrow's impossibilities that are coming at you in an overwhelming way just as they break in on the beachheads of your life. And those waves that you think are going to drown you, (laughs) well, they might come over your ankles because He's present. He will not let you drown, and He will not let you down. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God for union with Christ. Number 4. Consider the patience and perseverance of Jesus. The patience and perseverance. You, you know there's an old form of Chinese torture in um, ancient years where they'd put a prisoner they'd put a stock around his a block of wood around his uh, neck and hold him fast and, and he, his head would just be under a dripping faucet. It was called Chinese torture. And there'd be one drip, another drip, another drip on the forehead. The first hundred drips, no problem. But a thousand? Five thousand? After a while, when you couldn't move your head, that was that constant dripping, it would impact the mind so much that insanity would result. It'd become unbearable. And you see... So you might think in your life that you've got a trial or two or three or four that are just unbearable and they they keep dripping, keep dripping. And and the trial of the trial is that you don't know when the trial will end. If you knew it ended two weeks from now, you'd say, okay, I'll endure it two more weeks. But trials become so heavy because it seems like there's no, no way out. And were it not for Jesus, yeah, it might end that way, with insanity, because we don't know how to cope after a long trial. We say, I can't do this one more day. Yes, you can, with Jesus, because He's patient with you, and because He persevered to the end, because Jesus, having loved His own, loved them to the end, the Bible says. He set His face to Jerusalem knowing all the suffering that would come upon him, knowing the three G's, he went willingly to suffer and to die for you. And he persevered to the end, patiently, not rising up in bitter opposition, because he, the innocent one, was the guilty one on your behalf. And so he was silent when they accused him. Patient, persevering, all the way to the end, so that you too would persevere to the end. Blood drop by blood drop by blood drop, he persevered. And so, through the perseverance of Christ, through the patience of Christ, you will receive the patience, the perseverance you need to press on in the midst of affliction all the way to the end. doesn't mean that you won't have times that you're shaken doesn't mean that you won't have times where it just seems overwhelming. Doesn't mean that you won't have times that you, you you feel like you you're cut loose from that union with Christ that you can't bear it any longer. But what I'm saying to you now is consider the patience and perseverance of Christ for those times so that you cling to him and don't let him go. You know, Saul hunted and hunted David for sixteen years. And all the while, David is crowned king. But it seemed like it would never happen. And he says, one day I will perish by the hand of Saul. That was the day when he lost sight of Christ. See, David didn't perish, and you won't either. Jesus has done too much, persevered too long. He's still persevering in intercession for you this very moment to let you slip through His fingers. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. Look more to Christ. Trust more in His promise. Rest more in His perseverance. For your perseverance rests in His. And then seek grace to imitate His patience under affliction. Remember, your crosses are God's way to your royal crowning, not to your destruction. Your afflictions may alarm you, but they won't destroy you. Consider the patience and perseverance of Christ. Number five, consider the prayers of Christ. The prayers of Christ. His prayers are all-powerful. His prayers never fall to the ground unanswered. How often he set time apart on earth to pray to his Father, especially in hours of need. And so if he needs to pray, sinless Jesus, almighty Jesus, certainly we need to pray. Sinful people, weak people, frail people, that we are. So bring all your needs to the Savior to whom you're united. And Treat prayer, you know, somewhere John Calvin says prayer is like this. And by the way, Calvin uh, Calvin spent more pages on writing in the Institutes on prayer than on any other subject. Isn't that amazing? I think it's 72 pages. And Calvin says, prayer is climbing up into my father's lap and whispering my thanksgivings my confessions, and my needs into His high priestly ears. Isn't that beautiful? It's like a little, well, you don't have the joy of grandchildren yet, but that's special when they climb up into your lap and they whisper into your ear something. The Lord loves it when His children do that. You see, when you grow drowsy or sloppy in prayer, then pray aloud or write down your prayers or find a quiet place to walk in the fresh air to pray or whatever. Just don't stop praying in your afflictions. Just don't stop giving up. Don't, don't abandon yourself. Don't despair. Don't fall into depression and say, there's no hope for me. A prayerless affliction, a prayerless affliction is like an open sore ripe for infection. But a prayerful affliction Is like an open sore ripe for the blood balm of Gilead, the healing ointment of Jesus' blood. Pray without ceasing by bringing your prayers to your praying high priest with whom you're united. Consider the prayers of Jesus. It'll help you through. Number six. Consider the purposes of Christ. The purposes of Christ. He lived to do His Father's will. To be sanctified through suffering. To merit salvation for his own. To present his church without spot or wrinkle to his Father. In one word, his life was purely God-centered. Father-centered. And his God-centered goals are for you as well. Sanctified affliction teaches us so much in our life. It teaches us what sin is. Zephaniah 1.12. That's a good thing. To know the heinousness of sin. It teaches us to be humbled. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. I brought you through the wilderness to humble you. God says. That's a good thing. God knows we need humbling. It teaches you to seek God and to seek Him early. Hosea 5.15. That's a good thing. You see, affliction... Affliction vacuums away the fuel that feeds our pride. That's a good thing. John Bunyan once said, God's people are like bells. The harder they hit, the better they sound. Have you ever, have you ever talked with a child of God, who's maybe got all kinds of uh, special needs, they can be so humble, so exemplary, that you just you feel so immature beside them, because they've learned to cope with affliction, and that affliction has broken them and rebuilt them in Christ. And they shine with Christ. Robert Layton once wrote, affliction is the diamond dust that heaven polishes its jewels with. You see, sanctified affliction serves to keep you in Christ's communion, close by His side, like a shepherd. If he has an injured, afflicted sheep, he holds a sheep. Puts a sheep on his shoulder. In affliction, you see, Christ draws close to us, holds us, conforms us to him, makes us a partaker of his suffering, his image, his righteousness, his holiness. So Stephen-like, the stones that hit you only knock you closer to your chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, opening heaven the wider for you. Affliction rubs off the rust from your locked heart and it opens your heart's gates afresh to your king's presence chamber the rod of affliction is god's pencil for drawing christ's image more fully upon you so don't run away from god's gymnasium when he buffets you and afflicts you sanctified affliction serves to wean you from this world to walk you to make you walk by faith Thomas Watson put it this way, God would have the world, this world, hanging like a loose tooth in our mouth, which easily being twitched away, doth not much bother us. You see, in prosperity, we often talk about living by otherworldly faith, but in adversity, we live our talk. So embrace the purposes of God. In afflicting you and number seven consider the plan of christ the plan of christ highly exalted there's no name like his at his name every knee shall bow the eternal plan for you behind all your afflictions is eternal glory to be with jesus forever as we'll hear about tonight jesus returned to his father so differently than he came to earth he returned with his blood-bought bride Just as He had planned in His eternal covenant with His Father, His church, figuratively speaking, ascends into glory with Him, accepted by the Father in the Beloved. And so think more about that. This life is... The Bible symbolizes this life, doesn't it, as a 10-day trial. Just a little brief speck of time compared to eternity. A speck of time. 10 days. Your life to come... Your glory in the life to come is forever. The ten days here are but preparation time for coming glory. For our light affliction, Paul says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So our rainy days on earth will soon be over. Don't overestimate them. Think more of your coming crown. Think more of your eternal communion with the triune God, with saints and holy angels. Think more of what John Trapp, the Puritan said, he who rides to be crowned need not think much of a rainy day or two. Francis Havergal puts it this way, light after darkness, gain after loss, strength after weakness, crown after cross, sweet after bitter, hope after fears, home after wandering, praise after tears, sheaves after sowing, sun after rain, sight after mystery, peace after pain, joy after sorrow, calm after blast, rest after weariness, sweet rest at last. You're just a renter here. Your personal mansion is waiting for you there. So remember this, the shepherd's rod that smites you always has honey at the end. Don't despair. It's a fatherly hand that's chasing you, not a punitive hand of judgment. So, consider Christ, His passion, power, presence, perseverance, prayers, purposes, and plan. And then go out and live today for His glory. Confessing for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I want to close this sermon with just one illustration. Perhaps you know how Persian rugs are made. The rug maker climbs up a ladder, gets onto some scaffolding and he looks down at his his workers beneath him and he calls up for, for different colors of strings. Also dark strings, black strings, brown strings. And he sews the pattern from above. And the workers look up from underneath as they hand up all kinds of strings in obedience to his command. And it looks like a narrow mess coming down from the rug. Makes no sense at all. But then the day comes when the rug maker says, Friends, come up higher. And they climb up the ladder. And it's said of those workers, they never fail to be amazed when they see the rug pattern sewn absolutely perfect every dark string every light string in the right place no mistakes well that's what it'll be like for every christian on the great judgment day my friend come up higher enter thou into the joy of the lord and as we walk through the pearly gates of the heavenly jerusalem And we see our lives thrown at our feet like a Persian rug. We will understand every affliction we've ever had. And we will say, Lord, thy pattern is perfect. Thou hast made no mistakes. Solely Deo Gloria. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank Thee so much, so much for Jesus. Help us to consider Him when we are buffeted and afflicted and to profit from our afflictions so that we are made more and more partakers of the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus and more and more conformed to His image. We thank Thee so much for communion with Jesus that flows out of union, that gives us the strength we need to cope with affliction. Go with us further in this day and help us to truly say, it is well with my soul. And together, the people of God say, Amen.